Tamihana Katene speaks with Kava and community Puro facilitator Sam Palmer. Brought up in a Pākehā upbringing, the wood ninja Sam speaks about what first drew him to Taonga Puro. He elaborates on his in-depth practical instrument making wānanga that he runs, the formal tikanga of how he approaches whakairo within a modern context, and also the incorporation of other practitioners' influences within his teachings and sharing of mātauranga Māori. Whakarongo maira. Noreira tēnā i mihi a tūana ki a koe i taku hoa. Tēnā koe. Nau piki mai nau haramai ki tēnei wānanga o tātou. Ka tīmata kātika ki te karakia i tēnei āhuatanga e ngā kau nui ana tāua ko ngā uro, ko ngā tāunga pūro. Kia pēni. Whakarongo rā tāne te tokorangi ki te whio whio rau katauri ki te waiho hine ki te oro ruarangi ki te kōkiri haimata. Whakarongo rā ki te hua ngunguru, ki te hua ngongoro, ki te ngungo toku ihu. Haumie, huie, taikie. Nō reira katira, tēnā koe, kei taku tino hoa. Ko whakai ka haramai nei kia wānanga tahi tēnei wā. Tēnei, te whanua haumanu mihia tōna nei ki te haumanu. Nō reira, kei taku tino hoa. Sam, nau piki mai nau haramai ki tēnei wānanga kōrero tātou. Kia tohato atu ngā tini āhuatanga o inei momo mahi, o inei taonga kuima koroma ki te honga whakarongo nei. Nō reira, tēnei mihi atu mana. Tua tahira, tēnā whakamohia mai ki te hunga whakarongo, kowai koe. Tēnā koe. Tua tahira, e mihi ana tēnei ki te hunga whakarongo ana, e mihi ka tika kia koe hoa, te maanga e te kaupapa nei, kowai oi, nō ingarangi o ki tipuna, ko Charles Palmer te tipuna tua tahira tai mai ki Aotearoa, ko Woodlark te waka, i tipua ki oi ki Manurua, i nainei o enohoana mātou ki ko toku whānau ki raro i te maru o Pukiahu, ko Sam Palmer toku ingoa. Tēnā koe. Tēnā koe. Nau mai, Jai Vada. Nau mai, Haramai. Yeah, welcome to this kōrero, this wānanga kōrero. So the kaupapa that we're looking towards is we're having a conversation about this beautiful thing that we love, which is Ngā Tango Pūro. And I'm really enthusiastic about the mahi um, that you have been doing. We've been working together for a long time and we've been on this journey together for a long time. But one thing I wanted to do is to, to enable uh, te hunga whakarongo people that are able to, to join in with these podcasts to understand te tangata ngākau nui nei uh, ki ene momo mahi. So, um, kōrero, kōrero mai. Um, how, did, how did you get started in carving? Because you are um, mātanga whakairo and... For a long time, we've been doing this mahi together and just wanted to introduce your, your skill set by telling your story. Kia ora. So I guess my story starts um, back uh, my teenage years. When I was 15, I went into the building industry. And I think it's important to, to start by saying that I um, consider myself to have grown up in Te Aupakia my whole life, really, until 
uh, my late 20s. So, you know, monolingual, monocultural. Um, even though I was um, in Manurua, I still, my education was Pākehā, my, my worldview was Pākehā, everything I knew was Pākehā. And so um, at the age of 15, I went into the building industry and pursued that up until the age of um, around 25, did my apprenticeship and uh, I moved to Wellington and I started working on these beautiful whare, these beautiful old whare in Wellington. And I got inspired to start this uh, building company that specialised in these old whare. And so I thought to specialise in this type of mahi, I needed to be a builder, a carver, a wood turner and a joiner. And um, it's important to say that my whole motivation to start this uh, company was based solely on accumulating personal wealth. And I thought if I specialise and I'll be able to stand out and mm. um, and put myself in that position to to charge more and, and essentially just get more money. Mm. I love the mahi and I love the work, but I wanted to be in that position to to chase those dollars. Take over the world. Take over the world, bro. <laughs> be the next big thing, you know. Mm. Um, and so uh, I left building um, my late 20s and the first thing I went to pursue outside of um, carpentry was carving. And so there was no architectural carving on offer at that time, like the acanthus leaf and corbel and mm. all those sorts of things you might find in those old Victorian whare. Mm. My uncle handed me this little um, paper cutout, this little clipping, newspaper clipping, and it was an ad for, for kaido Māori carving in Porirua at Whitirea. Mm. And, um, and I was a bit hesitant, like it wasn't, it wasn't what I was thinking about wasn't what I was focused on but it was all that was on offer and so I rang up and I I talked to the um the tutor Takirirangi Smith and I and I approached it with all my ignorance and all my arrogance and all my misunderstandings that I had um, up to that date and I said to him um, this is what I'm trying to do I'm just trying to learn carving because I have this this um this goal yeah and I just want to come in, learn carving and tap out, you know. Yep. And at that moment, you know, a really special moment in my life because um, Takirirangi, in all his wisdom, he left the door open and he said, well, you know, feel free to come along and, you know, give it a go and you might enjoy it and you might pick some other stuff up. And so that's quite important to, to, um, to touch on is there was a real crossroad in my life where he left the door open for me and, mm. he, um, and he was really supportive of somebody that was quite obviously quite um, <laughs> ignorant, like ignorant in, in their ways. And so I went there and this is around 2009, I think. Um, my first year there, I studied at Whitirea full-time for two years, fortunate enough to be able to do that. And my first year was full of a lot of challenges, a lot of hard conversations, a lot of... I would have been really, really hard to be around in that, in that first year because mm. I was very confident in my worldview and I was very confident to share my perspectives and I was really, really fortunate to have a really good friend um, that challenged me on a lot of those perspectives in a very healthy way yeah. and so it never became personal, it was, it was always just healthy challenges and an example of that is one day he came up to me and he just, out of nowhere, he just said, um, who discovered New Zealand? And I said, Captain Cook. And he said, oh, man. Bruh. He's just like, oh, well, that ain't your fault, man. That's schooling. That's mm. that's the schooling's um, fault. So have you heard of Cooper? And I was like, nah. And so that's how those conversations happen. And so the first year, I was introduced to a lot of things and it really opened my, my eyes 
And then the second year is where um, we met. And by then I was probably a little bit more um, tolerable, which is probably how our friendship <laughs> has managed to last because I think in that first year a lot of people would have got sick of me pretty quickly, understandably too. Mm. And so from after that, I the seed was planted in that space of um, all the beautiful things of Te Māori that they have to offer. And, and I think when I first arrived, I think I was quite... Um, misguided in terms of what my motivations were and, and the more time I spent in Te Ao Māori and the more conversations I had some difficult and some just beautiful and easy and natural the more I realised that it aligned um, more to my core um, morals and values mm, absolutely. and um, after I'd finished studying there I stayed in that space um, I, I left uh, Whitirea and went and started a joinery apprenticeship for five years so the seed had been planted, but I'm pretty stubborn as well. So I thought I was, I was telling myself, you know, carry on with this um, building company, you know, like stick to the path. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, something's going on, mm-hmm. you know. And so the seed had been planted and I was doing the joinery stuff, but I was still hanging out with all the good friends I'd met at Whitirea and still being involved in kaupapa and um, carving in my spare time. And that became more of a focus to me and more important to me than this other thing. And so I finished my apprenticeship and I gathered all those skills that I was wanting to gather. But around the, towards the end of gathering all those things, I came to this realisation that that was no longer going to happen for all the right reasons. And I remember telling Dee one day, having the conversation and saying, oh, it's, uh, I feel really strongly that I'm not going to pursue that anymore. Mm. And I don't think it was um, for the right reasons. Yeah. And it's a really good example of why it's so important to um, share your life with people, um, help and support and want the best for you. Because Mm, um, when I was doing building, I was a qualified carpenter and we were comfortable. And then I went and studied and um, I was on student, you know, student allowance. And I went to apprenticeship wages and for years and years we were quite thin on the finances and so we were working towards this other goal of being financially comfortable in the future and then after years and years I said to her I'm not I don't think it's the right thing to do and she just supported it 100% yeah awesome so um that's really special these these are huge um factor in in what I do and um how I got to where I am today yeah absolutely and so how I kind of summarise that as an experience is when I went into that, I went into that space originally uh, with this idea, this fundamental idea that all I wanted to do was accumulate personal wealth. It was all about personal um, accumulation. Mm. And then in Te Māori, just through these really natural, beautiful moments, um, I would look around and I'd see these people that were held in such high regard with such respect in their society and their community. And it wasn't about what they had. It wasn't about their assets and all this personal wealth and all those things. It was about how much they contributed. And I was thinking, man, that's the way, you know, like that's how you that's how you want to do it. And so things shifted for me and, and I guess that's how I'd summarize my um my current outlook is it that it shifted from um personal accumulation to um to contributing. So everything I'm doing at the moment is with this motivation and this drive to contribute. Mm. And so it's the same personality and it's the same focus and it's the same uh, drive and enthusiasm, but I've just shifted from accumulating to contributing. Yeah. Well, Robbie, my
it's quite amazing how being introduced to a, a really supportive environment can actually you know, give your your wider space to grow. Definitely. Um, you know, and, and, and I can absolutely say with absolute certainty that you're not alone in that the way in which Rangatahi and, and, and kids are brought up in Aotearoa. Mm. I was exactly the same, you know. Mm. You know I, I grew up in the pa and Putidua. Mm. Surrounded all of my whānau were heavily Mormon influenced. Mm. Um, I didn't fall in love with Te Ao Māori until my mid-20s. Mm. Um, and by that time, you know, ko ngarunga ngakorowa, ko ngarunga yeah. But yeah, and one of the things that I find when when you, like that their first first times that we met is that there was a there was a spark that changed yeah for you know? sure and that's 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 a beautiful thing definitely uh, always been comfortable around you Brian <laughs> <laughs> sometimes too comfortable kau katika kite tangopuro so this this is something that we've we've shared this journey for for a long time and we know something that we both love what drew you to the te ao te iiriatua nga nga oro there's so many Different things you can specialize in, Teo mm. Um, You know, and so what what drew you to Tangapuro as opposed to Pira Pira Kito Kayoko Kia Kapapata Kidirangi Kita Fakatu Fari? Yeah, Patai Pai, bro. If I'm being really honest, like it's not always the easiest to describe because I've heard so many beautiful answers to that question from so many friends, and, and some of them have really quite almost like divine intervention experiences, <laughs> yeah. but mine isn't as such. So my passion and, and what really drives and motivates me is bigger projects, and I've been fortunate enough to be involved in a, in a couple of them with waka and, and whare and things, and that's what really uh, motivates me. But um, the reality is is that when, in those years when I was, I'd left um, Whitera and I was doing the joinery stuff is that we had a, a house that I was working on that I was renovating. We had a young family and I was working full time and I didn't really have time for those bigger projects. So mm. what I did is, is the, the small amount of spare time I did have, I used to make portal because mm. um, they're on the smaller scale of things. Mm. And so whilst I only had small pockets of time, over a long period of time, I had many of them. Yeah, and yeah. so that built my experience in that space. And so it was, it was through practicality of, of time to a degree. The seed was planted for Pūro originally at Whitere when Warren Warbrook came into the um, Tāngo Pūro Wānanga with us. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he came a, with his, his English red coat on yeah, and <laughs> yeah. the steez of the man. <laughs> yeah, man. And so that that was a really special turning point for me at that Wānanga at Whitere and, and I, my eyes were open to um, the world of Tāngo Pūro. And mm. so... There were sounds and um, feelings in the in that wānanga that I hadn't felt and heard before, and mm. so that stayed with me. And then, I guess if you have small amounts of time and you can do small projects, you can also do other things like modako and and those things. Um, but puro seemed to be calling me in some way that I don't have words for. Mm. But um, my experience grew over time in that space, and then people would ask if I could contribute in certain ways, and then those experiences grew in contributing. Yeah. So that's kind of been my journey in it. Yeah, awesome. In the making. I refer to you whenever I talk to anybody about my bro Sam, <laughs> I talk about the wood ninja. <laughs> <laughs> so anything in the shaping of wood, this follows your man. Yeah. And so one, one of the things that I really appreciate in my own journey in Whakairo and being a maker 
is the you know the techniques that I've learned from you, mm-hmm. like the wood turning. Mm-hmm. It's completely changed the way I approach the crafting of certain things. Mm. And one of the things that sticks very heavily in my own um, fakaro is when um, when I first started, um, you know, back when we first we first met, I was stuck in this mindset that I needed to use hand tools. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was stuck in this, you know, <laughs> if, if, you used, if you used an angle grinder on something, you were cheating. You, know, yeah, you weren't yeah. doing it justice. Definitely. Um, and I had a cordial with my koro um, about you know, using chainsaws and um, machinery and, and whatnot. Mm. Um, and my koro's response was, he says to me, boy, do you think our tūpuna was so stupid they wouldn't have used a better tool if they had it? Mm, definitely. That was like really eye-opening for me, you know, to take away that this, because it was almost like a little bit of arrogance that, oh, you know, I, I have to do this. Mm. I have to struggle through this process. Mm. What are your thoughts on adopting the techniques of other makers and other cultures mm. and incorporating them in your practice? Yeah, well, to start by touching on that, in my first year before we had met, I had the exact same perspective and I did some things that were painfully slow mm. and unnecessary. Mm. And I grew out of that pretty quickly because um, one of the kind of rules of thumb or, or a question that is frequently asked in woodworking in general is what is the quickest and most accurate way to achieve what you want to achieve? Mm. And so you have speed and accuracy. And there are times when a hand tool is the top of speed and accuracy. And so for myself, I really enjoy using a hand plane to shape the outside of putorino because I'm able to hold the putorino of one hand, turn it and use the plane to remove large mm-hmm. um, cuts. Yeah. And so there's speed and accuracy in that. But then there's uh, the grinder has speed and accuracy in it too. Mm. But it gets to a point when the accuracy starts to thin out and it just is only um, fast. And so you change to another tool. Mm. So there is no one tool for all jobs. It's a matter of asking yourself the question, um, what is the quickest and most accurate? And for a lot of surface patterning and a lot of fine detail work, there's still nothing as accurate as hand tools, Mm. as chisels. Yeah, absolutely. If something happened tomorrow, if something was invented that created the same accuracy as as a hand chisel, to do pattern work, I think a lot of people would shift tomorrow. Mm. But at the moment, that's where the accuracy stands. It may not be fast, but it is accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just thinking while you were having your your pocket cordial about was uh, was the toki, you know, and and that's that's one of the things that I've seen in recent years. I've actually started focusing on trying to use them more. Um, Yeah. There's a there's almost a you know people are not really keen to try because mm. they are quite difficult to get that speed and accuracy that you're talking about. Yeah. But the the, the thing that I've learned over over trying to use them is that you have your body has to be ready to use it. Mm. Um. You know. And then that's where the, the difference between picking up an angle grinder, flicking the switch. Yeah. You don't have to have a strong wrist really nah. to to use it. Yeah. But with a toki, it's super fast and super accurate. But only if you've been using it for like six months. Yeah, if you got the stamina. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you know you got got the right talkie in your hand, that you know you can you can work for more than five minutes at a time. Definitely. Let's move on to the making, since we started talking about the process um, and the the tooling and the, the philosophy of drawing um, other techniques from other places into our practices of creating tangupuro. Mm-hmm. Throughout our journey, there have been. Many occasions where, like I know when I when I first started to use the the wood lathe, it was you know well <laughs> we're parked up in your in that, that little concrete garage yours, and you're yeah. making bags and bags of wood chips. One of the things I really enjoyed about that was the ability to 
make lots and lots of kōwewe. Yeah. You know, if I was if I was doing that using hand tools or any other tool really, yeah. other than the lathe, there's no way we'd would get like you know, fifty kōwewe to to koha to a to a kura. Definitely. So in your process, I've I've seen in in your practice, I've seen a lot of times where a lot of the massive numbers of kōwewe kuko porotiti that you koha and mm. that you give out to the communities. I was just wanting to talk about that process and how that feels in terms of trying to distribute taonga puro that can be played basically with as little effort as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, because we've done a few kaupapa together where, you know, we stand there and we, we, we take people through the process of finishing kōwewe, starting them on their journey and playing. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of people who see you out in the, the, the hapuri out in the community in Wellington see you doing. But I just want to get a, a deeper understanding of, you know, it takes love. Mm. to do that yeah. um, and uh, what is it that drives you to push like moving towards that focus on contributing to the you know that you were talking about earlier I think my my fundamental motivation for um, everything I do is, as you're saying is in um, contributing mm. and so for myself when I navigate some big things some big topics some big moments what I try and do is simplify them mm. and so it would be quite easy to um talk quite in depth about what motivates me and and what drives me to do that but really naturally what I do is I simplify things and so if I can simplify it down to this basic concept that I'm just motivated to contribute Mm -hmm. then um, that's what does it and so there can be times where it is physically and mentally challenging to do large um, amounts of things and you can really hit the wall and you need to push through it and you just need to have have your um, motivator mm. and your your why. Yeah, and exactly. so it's just to contribute really is to make make it accessible, um, make it accessible to people. And I think when we know the whakapapa of Taonga Poro from pre-European to today, we know that um, the accessibility has gotten to a point where at some stages in that whakapapa, the accessibility was a big issue. Mm. And so for me, maybe the way I can contribute to the um, the kaupapa as a whole is to um, contribute with the accessibility of it. Yeah. And then other people contribute to the kaupapa in other ways once people have it in their hands. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's that's my motivator. Make it accessible, contribute to making Taungpura accessible and just keep it simple. Yeah, awesome. I'm um, talking about con- contributing. So you know, over the, the last few Couple of few years now, mm. um, so you've been running Tangupur um, or making Wananga yeah. um, here in Tupukoteika. It's an amazing kaupapa, you know. Then they meet to because you know there there are very few things. My heart is in Wananga, mm. you know. That, that's, Definitely. that's 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 where my happy place is, and that's where I think our kaupapa dr- um, thrive mm. is in is in Wananga. So just give us a, a bit of a, an understanding on what you do in terms of the wānanga that you run. So um, those making wānanga, um, the first one was late 2018 and uh, I really need to start by saying that um, Dee is a huge support in those wānanga and so she does a lot um, in, in the preparation leading up to it. There's a lot of admin that I didn't realise. I thought you just turn up on the day <laughs> and you just start a wānanga. But there's a lot of um, yeah. communicating and a lot of admin that goes into making sure the start of it runs smooth and people turn up and they know where to go. Um, and so what we started with is uh, essentially the fundamentals of carving, um, how to shape wood with um, a chisel, basically. And we we 
did that within um, the Taonga Poro space of Kōauru, Poro Titi, Pūrerihua, um, Nuru and Pūtorino. And so I started by uh, loosely preparing the wood um, for the people and, and having all the tools ready and we'd start with a kōrero about the basics of carving and then they would just um, spend the weekend in their own way making their taonga. And I think the fundamental kōrero at the start is really important to mm. set everybody up and to reassure them that they are capable and they have the ability to do it. Uh, the other thing that's really important is that I really encourage everyone to have their own style and uh, um, I have my style mm. and I would never expect anyone to uh, have to follow what I do. And so those are really the beautiful moments in that space, in that wānanga space, is seeing people going through that really personal journey of who they are and, and what they um, naturally gravitate towards and lean to and you know, their personalities and, and they're experiencing that and they're finding it out for the first time, some of them. Mm-hmm. And I get to share that moment with them. Yeah, that's cool. It's always just about being really supportive and um, really reassuring that they're doing an amazing job. And so in those wānanga, we make pūrō, but we also it's full of a lot of personal journeys for people and, and there's been a, a lot of amazing stories shared with me and Dee after the wānang in those, in those little spaces where we can court it all um, privately, that, that's been a big motivator for me to keep going because some, some of the stories have been really personal and I'm just so privileged and so honoured to be able to be a part of those people's journeys. Mm, absolutely, because you know, I, I come in and help when I can. Yeah, um, thank you, the, the, the thing I love about that is, you know, the, the lives you touch, eh? So how, how many of them have you done now? Uh, lost count, but um, starting in 2018, I think we're up to like 14 or 15. Oh, kātahira, kātahira. <laughs> One of the things I really enjoy when I come to Tautoko, the wānanga pūro, is the wānanga and the discussions that we have on tikanga. Mm-hmm. The tikanga that we have, which is, applies specifically to the shaping of wood and, and the developing of uh, the tools which release your oro. Mm. And the other is that the tikanga involved with how we treat each other. That's one of the things that sticks mm. really heavily with me is um is is your fukaru on on how we um how we how we treat each other in these wananga. Mm. So um let's let's have a, a discussion about this thing we call tikanga. Because it's it's one of those things that you know you can when you bring it up, some people kind of get clammy and mm. kind of retract into themselves because um, you know, they, they feel like they're being judged, but I think that the best way to express and the best way to develop our understanding of things is the wānanga. Yeah, you know, yeah? For sure. So how, how do you approach the, you know, the, the formal tikanga of how we approach whakairo within the, a modern wānanga context? Yeah, so I, um, I need to return to those those days at Whitirea when we had time and space to wānanga in the workshop. And um, so I went, originally went into that space with no understanding of Tao Māori mm-hmm. um, or any of the real anything. And so that word tikanga would be used a lot. So I would just ask the question, you know, what is it? And, and it, would, it would start the wānanga. And so I was offered the perspective that um, every tikanga has a taha wairua and a taha kiko kiko, um, a practical side and a wairua side to it. And especially in whakairo, that it's quite clear and easy to see that. And when we think of some of the old tikanga, so not carving at night, my friend would say to me, 
well, you need to close your eyes and then try and carve because that's what carving at night was like. <laughs> yeah, true. And um, te pō was te pō. It was quite a basic tikanga, turning your carvings over at night. We are in completely different workspaces now with lockable doors and windows and um, mm. corrugated iron roofs and concrete floors. But that wasn't always the space. Um, and so with rain and moisture and birds coming in and um, nesting above for Kairo and all of those things, you would arrive the next morning and there would be a mess on your Fukaido. Mm. So there was the, um, the idea of turning it over at night and you can probably quite easily see the ta wairo of that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't always know the ta kiko kiko. Mm. And so I also had it um, uh, explained to me that tikanga can um, evolve and change uh, within the, the environment. And the ta kiko kiko, the practical side, has a huge part in that. And so now you'll see carvers um, quite commonly... And naturally carving at night because we have yeah, lights. We have lights. Yeah, that's and the so, life, man. Yeah, and um, and that's not even debatable. Like you, if you look at any of the Wakahuya um, documentaries that are uh, interviewing carvers, they're almost all carving at night in mm. those documentaries. And like a personal experience, you know, that's the the magic hour. Oh, it is. Between yeah. midnight and three in the morning, is when you get the work done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can see how tikanga can can change quite easily when um, when things change. And so there's some old that we have brought into the wānanga space. Um, so collecting your chips, your wood chips, mm. and returning them back to the whenua, um, that's still relevant and practical today, maybe even more so because uh, a lot of carvers will source their rako from um, maybe Trade Me or mm. um, a shop or I don't know, somewhere. It just gets handed to them and they've got something. Yeah, native timber supplies of Waikano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think we're, we're actually growing in our disconnect with um, where Rako comes from and, our, and its connection to the whenua. So in that, um, that tikanga, the wānanga, of just collecting it and putting it in a sack and then at the end of the wānanga I return it to the whenua and we have some little... Um, trees planted that we feed a uh, little tōtara and kākatia and um, for the people at the wānanga it reconnects them to the space that they're, what they're working with is from the whenua and will go back to the whenua so we have we have that tikanga uh, we have no food and drink in the wānanga because that's still um, uh, relatable to today and with the practical side of not um, having a mess. And when you have a group of sometimes strangers come together and some people are a little bit more casual than others, you wouldn't mm. want somebody coming up to your space with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and accidentally spilling it on your mahi. Mm. So that's the taha kiko kiko and the taha wairua um, still applies to this day. Um, and then the other one that's really big for us is the kōrero that we uh, use in the wānanga space, um, ke roto, ke waho hoki. The, the kōrero we use with ourselves um, to be um, kind to ourselves and to others and to be supportive of ourselves and to others because um, the tahakiko kiko of te tikanga is it's, it's very practical that our thoughts and our headspace directly affects how our hands work. Mm. And when we're distracted and we're being hard on ourselves and we're um, telling ourselves that we can't do it and we're not good enough, um, it's a snowball effect yeah. and we make mistakes and then, yeah, we, yeah. and then we're too hard on ourselves with those mistakes. And so the wānanga space is built on those tikanga and um, 
And it's so, so important that we support ourselves and others around us mm. um, because it, it uh, has a flow-on effect. Yeah, absolutely. And not just for, you know, making mistakes in what you're doing, but, you know, if you're not in the right, right mindset, using sharp tools is dangerous. Exactly. And, you know, yep. and then I've, I know that I've got the scars to bring. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Yeah. <laughs> While we're on the topic of the of the Waimanga, mm. one thing that I wanted to get your opinion on is this: the, is the whole topic of how to navigate the Maori mm. as a tangata pakia, um, and how how the space is affects um, the things that we do, and especially for someone in your position who who there is an absolute love for the Maori, mm. which is probably one of the reasons we're homies, is because mm. I, I see that spark in you, um, and that you're teaching Matauranga Maori through that love to Tawira from everywhere. Māori mm. mai, pākea mai, iniana mai, koe How do you approach this topic? I mean, what are your thoughts on navigating mātauranga Māori spaces through he uh, whakapapaririki? Yeah, well, pātai pai mai, bro. Um, uh, recently I've kind of been um, trying to navigate this idea based around this metaphor about um, te ao Māori being like a whare. Mm. And so I'll try my best to articulate it. But um, as a Pākehā, every time I visit this whare, I know that I'm a guest in this whare, mm. and this is the fundamentals of everything I do. And I will always be a guest in this whare. And no matter how much I contribute, and no matter how many times I'm invited back, and no matter how much people enjoy me being in this whare as a guest, I know that I'm a guest. And so I'm not trying to work my way up to being considered Māori. I know I'm Pākehā, I know my whakapapa, and I'm proud to be Pākehā. And I think Pākehā, um, as a dictionary definition, yes, is a noun, but I see Pākehā as a verb. Mm. And so when people say, oh, oh Pākehā, they're saying that in the, in, as a verb. They're saying, you know, that Pākehā is coming in with their own intentions and their own motivations. Mm. And you can hear it in the tones. And that's yeah. because Pākehā are creating their own definition through their actions of what Pākehā is. And so what I'm trying my best to do is to acknowledge that I'm a guest in this whare and to be the best guest I can be. Come with a koha. Don't overstay your welcome. <laughs> know that in this whare, at any point, just like our whare and our houses, if you could be invited around... And you might hear, you know, this is a big whare with a lot of people in this whare. The people that invite you around um, are very welcoming and very friendly. But maybe in the background you can hear some people saying, you know, why, what what are they doing here? Yeah, you know, like this is our whare. Like, yeah. you know, they're always coming around here eating our biscuits and drinking our <laughs> cup of tea and they don't yeah. bring nothing with them and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And so... I really understand why people have those complaints. Mm. It's because we're in their whare. And so, yeah, that's kind of my basic kind of fundamental idea of how to navigate that. And so, and I think everything can come from that, yeah. um, that idea. So the conflict in that space, we have to think that um, any of the conflict is through people, rightfully so, saying this is our whare, and I should be able to be myself and my whare, mm -hmm. not have to um, 
compromise myself, not have to be anyone different, not have to change because this is my whare. Mm. And sometimes Pākehā don't always understand this idea and they bring their own um, tikanga from their whare into other people's whare. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, so... Well, whakaaro rangatira katoa, that's beautiful, my bro. Kia ora. Um, and I think it's it's really important that we get this type of, um, you know, the, from, this, from your experience because you've been... Um, you know, engrossed in Te Ao Māori for for quite some time now, mm. um, and just like you know, many other many other of our tupuna who, who came into uh, Te Ao Māori and thrived, I think it's you know, the, the same for Kaoru. Mm. Um, and it's you know, the same way that I approach when, when I, I'm walking into a different world from Te Ao Māori is mm. you know be humble about you know, be humble about your privilege. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, so tēnā mihatu ana kiakoe inga fa and, and, and it's really important that we talk about this because, you know, the, the, the wānanga that you carry out here in Te Upoko Teika, the spread of the ethnic backgrounds is quite wide, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah, it's really diverse, yeah. yeah. So, and it's something that I'm overly focused on, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm really, really aware of how diverse Pōnaki is as a region. And when you have an open-door policy, all that diversity comes through. Yeah. And so, um, and it's beautiful. And so... Again, returning back to this idea of when I was at Whitirea and Takirirangi kept the door open for me, what he did in that moment, I kind of joke about, is that he he gave me a gift, but he also gave me a burden to, to carry, and it's to, um, to deal with everybody and all the things that they bring with them, mm. because he was so supportive of me yep. that I need to be supportive of others. Mm. So I really understand why people would say this is a um, Māori-only kaupapa, Māori being Māori in their own whare, that makes complete sense to me. And maybe for me, the way I can contribute is um, being that person that can offer it to those other people um, in those other moments. Yeah, awesome. In terms of Te Aupuro and, and Te Arapuro uh, that, we, that we both love and, and, are, and are walking, what's the dynamic of the tikanga purako kōrero versus physical shaping, um, making wood chips, gluing things together? Um, mm. how, how do those th- two things go um, in, in, in your practice and how you teach mm. uh, and, and this type of kaupapa? My, my first thoughts are that... Um, I think they definitely work hand in hand, but mm. for me and my own personal experiences, when those pūrāko shine their brightest is when the the um, taonga have come into te ao mārama mm. and they play and they have their reo. And so when I'm making, I acknowledge all the tikanga um, and go through those motions, but at times I can be quite focused on, on the making side of it um, practically, and then once the practical side is done, and, and being focused on the practicality actually keeps you quite clear-headed and safe mm-hmm. um, from mistakes and accidents. And then when the taonga has come into um, te ao Māori, that's when I kind of relax and my mind state shifts and I can go to that space of pūrāko and mm-hmm. returning to the um, taiao um, and taking these taonga back to the taiao and stuff. Yeah, that's a really important thing to think about in my personal practice because, you know, on one hand, you have the side of the journey, which is pūrāko, karakia, um, tikanga, mm. um, atsuatanga, all these different cultural philosophies and aspects mm. um, which require 
and which really need a real emotional and, mm. and emotional connection to what you're doing. On the other side of the thing, we've got bloody um, spindle routers and yeah, <laughs> spindle yeah, molders exactly. and, and yeah. table saws, uh, angle grinders. And if you're not focused, yeah, they're very, very dangerous. And so, so navigating these two spaces where um, one of these, you know, when, if I'm using an angle grinder on, on the outside of a putorino, mm. if I'm sitting there and in my head, I'm going over the story of, of Hinero Kataudi and stuff mm. like that, I'm not focused on what I'm doing. Exactly, yeah. Um, it's an important thing for us to think about is in which part of the process of creating Taungapuro yeah. do these specific things apply? You know, there's, yeah. it's almost like a, um, an order of precedence on when I create Putorino, for example, first thing I do is reflect on the Putorino mm. and, and the Purako. Yeah. And then after that, waiho te raki te taha, mm. and then start on you know, the selection of the rako, mm. splitting and shaping and all that kind of stuff, and Definitely. then go back. And it'd be the equivalent of, you know, somebody um, telling the story of Venero Katori and or maybe, you know, the um, waiata around Puro and or Karakia, and then asking them while they're in the middle of their Karakia to think about their chisel sharpening practices yeah you know yeah. like it's a bit absolutely it's a bit different so yeah we kind of um it, it can be easier just to keep your head in that space in that time mm. yeah, i think that's an, it's important for us to think about yeah um, some of the um the makers it's quite an interesting experience when you get them in their really natural space so you know, at the Wananga, we're on our best behaviour mm. and, um, you know, everything <laughs> smiles and everyone's supportive and stuff. But then when you go to the whare, you know, like you come to my whare or go to your whare or spend time with other makers, it's almost like at times I'm almost like um, taken back how unromantic it is, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think some people have this idea that it's just really, um, you know, beautiful and romantic and every moment is a sunrise or a sunset. Yeah, and the zen moment. Yeah, it's really zen <laughs> and it's like, it's making is quite practical. Yeah, you don't have NWA bumping in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah all those things. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. oh, don't What are the barriers and the, the difficult things for and on the flip side of that coin because the Almaty is all about balance you know the, mm. what are the what are the challenges but also what are the things that you see that you're really enthusiastic about I'll start with the challenges and I'll leave I'll finish on a good bus yeah. the challenges um, they they're essentially our challenges are kind of embedded and deeply rooted in our communities. They're not surface layer challenges. They're not, does somebody, you know, can you get um, a chisel and a piece of wood? Because anyone can get that from Bunning. In terms of accessibility, anybody mm. can access a chisel and a piece of wood, even if it's a piece of driftwood and a $20 chisel from Bunnings. Mm. I think in terms of the, the challenges, when I think back of um, some points in my life when I had quite intense challenges, you know, when when the outside world was coming into my little world um, un, unannounced and uninvited mm. and I needed to navigate those things, my mind was very uh, fragmented and even the simplest things were difficult. And so... When you kind of expand on that idea and you think that, oh, making a portotiti is real easy, you just, you know, carve a basic shape in two holes or a koiro is just, you know, this basic cylinder. Mm. What we really need to be realistic about is some people are navigating that that simple idea with, with a lot of um, struggles. Mm. And so 
all those struggles that, that we know of today that are real with housing, with um, just basic cost living, of living, cost yeah. of living, that's directly affecting everything. It affects everything from somebody um, enrolling in a deal course to um, picking up a chisel to um, having the space and time to go into their whakapapa. Like these these are real things that, yeah. um, that aren't always seen on an everyday level but um, I felt very wide and far. Mm. So for me in my journey, things became easier for me. We bought a house quite a, quite a few years ago before things went stupid. Mm. Th- things became easier for, for our family when we had stability yep. and I was able to, um, to take a moment, to take a breath, to look around, to readjust and to um, see what I could do yeah. um, with that stability. So our biggest challenges, I think, in this space is acknowledging how um, deeply people are affected with the fundamentals of living, with housing and food and bills. And I think it's really um, unrealistic and quite um, sad at times if anybody thinks it's okay to take the position that just because they can do it, everybody can do it mm. and just try and simplify it like that. And mm. I think we need to be a lot more supportive and um, understanding of people's journeys mm. and look at things as um, in some way, you know, talk to people as as in their own journeys and see what you, we can do with that mm. and to be reassuring. And, and sometimes it just starts by um, letting them know that they have the ability to do it, they can do it, and, and they are amazing, they are special, and that you're there to support them. And sometimes that just clears a bit of the busyness. Yeah. And then if it's, a, a, you know, just little moments here and there, little conversations, little... Um, you know, phone calls or just meeting up and stuff. It's all those little moments that make up the big moments. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the, the combination of the small impacts that make the big yeah, change. definitely, definitely, yeah. Mm. So the things that, you know, we, we don't really think about these days, but that's that's reality at, at the moment. Well, let's, let's turn it to the, to the good side of things. Yeah, let's, let's finish off on a high vibe. Bro, definitely. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, what are the some of some of the high points in, in these one that you've seen over the last few years? Oh, bro, there are so many, man. Like, yeah, uh, one of them that's really special for me is the bro Chris Hoodie Why um, mm. when he turned oh, up. Oh, Rev TikTok fellow, yeah, the, the bro, the <laughs> brother. Yeah, that's that's a whole one in itself, man. But like, <laughs> so he had an experience where he doubted his abilities um, in carving. Mm. And he'd kind of given up on it and he saw that the Wananga came up and he's like, I'll give it a go, even though he really doubted his abilities. And he came along and at the start, we really simplify it. About 99% of the people that have been through the Wananga have never touched a chisel or carved before. Mm. And that's something that I really focus on is simplifying stuff. And so in that Wananga, he had this experience where, um, where he realized that he was able to do it and he knew that he was capable and he had the potential and... He came back again to another wānanga and um, realising what he was able to do and to, to grow it further. And then he's taken it back to um, Te Tairawhiti and he's run wānanga back home. Awesome. Which is really what it's all about. Yeah, it's, absolutely. To, it's to expand it and to, to keep the um, kaupapa going. Oh, awesome, my bro. <laughs> awesome. Well, me, me mm. let's, let's finish up here. Well, thank you. No... 
tenei uh, e whakamana wātou nei ki a koe ka kei taku ringa whao, kei taku tangata tiriti, mm. ko haramai nei ki te tautoko i tenei koe papanui whakaharahara. Nō reira i mihi atu ana, uh, ka whakakapi kātika ki te karakia, uh, pera, ki te, pera ki te Māori. Mm. Unuhia, unuhia, unuhia ki te uru tapu nui a tāne kia wāte, kia māma, te ngākau, te hinengaro, te wairua, te tīnana i te ara takatū. Te rongo whakairi ake ki runga kia wāte, kia wāte, haira, kua wāte, hou, a tūturu kia rongo kia whakamaua, kia tīna, tīna, haumie, huie, Taki. Taki. Mairi ora. Ko te piko 